Hello, well-being friends, and welcome to the Path to Well-Being in Law podcast, an initiative of the Institute for Well-Being in Law. I'm your co-host, Chris Newbold, Executive Vice President of Alps Malpractice Insurance. And, you know, most of our listeners know that our goal is, is pretty straightforward. We want to introduce you to thought leaders doing meaningful work in the well-being space and within the legal profession. And in the process, we want to build and nurture a national network of well-being advocates intent on creating a culture shift within the profession. I am always pleased to introduce my co-host, Bree Buchanan. Bree, how's it going? It's going great, Chris. How is your spring starting off? It's going. It's it's a little colder in Montana than I would like, uh, but <laughs> but the warm weather is on the way. So we, yeah. I, I'm certainly looking forward uh, to that. So, yeah. um, a lot going on, obviously, in the well-being world, and and you know, super excited to uh, continue with with a kind of thoughtful discussion here on the podcast. You know, we're going to continue. I think our our, our series here on diversity, equity, and inclusion and the intersection of DEI with well-being. Uh, and, and super excited to be welcoming Leah Dorsey uh, to, the, 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 to the podcast. Bree, would you be so kind to introduce Leah to our listeners? I would love to. So we are so delighted to bring to you Leah Dorsey today. And she is a thought leader in the movement to advance diversity and a driver for inclusive change. As the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Ogletree Dinkins, she's responsible for the development and execution of the firm's diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy. Ms. Dorsey collaborates with firm leadership, practice group leaders, and business resource groups to expand and advance efforts in the recruitment, development, promotion, and retention of diverse talent. Ms. Dorsey previously served as the Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Denton's U.S., there, she was responsible for the strategic oversight, design, and implementation of this very large firm's diversity and inclusion initiatives. Before that, she served, served as the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Evershed Sutherland and has also held senior positions at DLA Piper and Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney, all of those names that many of us know. Um, Leah is also President Emeritus. I told her the best place, best position to have, <laughs> the Association <laughs> of Law Firm Diversity Professionals. She's a sought-after presenter and panelist on a broad range of topics covering diversity, equity, and inclusion at conferences across the country. Leah, welcome. We are so glad you're here with us today. Thank you, Bree. Thank you, Chris, for having me. I am thrilled, thrilled to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Leah, I'm going to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests, because I think it just is well, so interesting. So um, what are some of your experiences in your life that are drivers behind your very clear passion for the work around DEI? Um, great, great question. Um, and I like to start by saying that I've, I've always been an inclusionist, if you will, although it didn't have a term back in the day as I was growing up. And I'll just kind of uh, share just a really funny story. I used to get in trouble a lot as a child because I would give away my toys to my friends who didn't have them. Um, <laughs> so I would always just share. I would always just give. I was always that compassionate person. And I think my parents appreciated it until I gave away my brand new pink and white Huffy bike with the tassels <laughs> on the handlebars. Oh, no. 
<laughs> and then I think after that, it's okay. I think we need to kind of bring this in and, and, and frame it. But, uh, <laughs> but um, all jokes aside, I've, I've always been a giver. I've always been a giver. And I live by the verse to whom much is given, much will be required. And I seriously take that to heart. Um, I've long supported those from different backgrounds and environments. Uh, I've been a volunteer for a long time. I mentor, especially now in my role. I think it's very, very important for me to reach back and pull others forward. Um, but for me, this was just what you did as a, as a good person, right? It was never about the shine or the accolades. You, you helped people who need it. Um, and so now I like to refer to myself, I'm still an inclusionist, but now I like to refer to myself as a disruptor for good. Right. Um, and, and just today, I heard someone else describe herself as a professional troublemaker. And I think I'm going to borrow that one as well. Um, because at the end of the day, to, to do this work, you have to be brave and you, you have to be bold. And I'm also clear that it's it's not for everyone, that this is by far the hardest job that I've ever had, but it's also the most rewarding. And I honestly can't see myself doing anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope that I can be um, a professional disruptor at some point, but it does take a lot of courage. Absolutely. So good it for does. you. Leah, tell us a little bit about, you know, one of the things I was impressed about kind of how your professional journey has kind of taken shape is you've had the ability to move in and out of different cultures within the legal profession, which I just find is really, really, really fascinating. Um, tell us about your journey in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and you know, in, in the time that you have been a, a disruptor for good, how have things changed over that time? Yeah, so I have been in law firms for a very, very, very long time. Although, you know, I didn't start out in DEI, I actually started out on the business side of the law firm for years. And at one particular firm, we didn't have anyone at that time leading DNI in an official capacity. Um, so I raised my hand. Again, I would love to volunteer, and that's a reoccurring theme, you know, with me. Mm -hmm. uh, but two years later, I, I found myself with almost two full time job. So the job that I was hired to do and the job that I was meant to do, and that was the DNI role. Uh, and so that same firm really saw how passionate I was about DEI work and just how happy I was doing it. And they actually created a role for me as the director of DNI at that firm. And as they say, you know, the rest was history. Um, but when we think about what changed over time, I think We've seen DEI become more of a strategic focus and priority for firms. Even before the events of 2020, I think we started to see firms dedicate more resources to DEI, like creating full-time positions, you know, moving away from DEI being embedded in um, HR or being seen as a compliance requirement from the GC's office. So we really started to see kind of an elevation of DEI in the role. And then 2020 happened. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But what we saw was even more of a cohesion around DEI. You know, we saw leaders speaking up, stepping up. You know, we saw a heightened level of awareness. People, you know, became aware of issues that weren't on their radar in the past. You know, I think the murder of George Floyd was a, a pivotal moment. And I'm often asked how that moment was so different because sadly, uh, you know, George Floyd wasn't the first black man, you know, to be murdered at the hands of police. And sadly, he wasn't the last. But I think the right. difference is that the world was at home watching it happen. And people who thought things like this didn't happen were now outraged, 
right? But that rage led to empowerment. We have to do something. We have to say something. And so we're seeing a lot of folks um, speaking up more because they, they aren't afraid and they're making demands for change. And all of that is great. And that is a big change because I would say before 2020, I don't think that you would have seen people speaking up and standing up the way that we're seeing it now. And I think all of that is great. But I also think that we're in an inflection point, right? Because mm. there are forces in this world who don't want things to change. Right. Um, the thought is the system has worked in one way for so long, so why change it? But the only way to move forward successfully is to change. And I'm one of those change agents that's working to try to make this world a better place. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. That's so wonderful. Um, so, um, Dia, I've, I've seen you, Leah, I'm sorry, seen um, or heard you talk about the, your experience over time here. What have you seen now that legal employers are doing right in this area? What are some good examples? And we'll get to, to weaving in the intersectionality of well-being, mm -hmm. but right now let's stick with the DEI work. What do you mm -hmm. see as going right here? Absolutely. Um, I think there's much more focus and intention being put around the advancement and retention of diverse talent, specifically minority talent. You know, recruiting is still a focus, of course, but we realize that diverse talent need meaningful support once they join the firm. And so for the listeners, I just challenge them to ask themselves, you know, how are you investing in your diverse talent? Um, are you having real conversations around the development of your talent? because we really need to make serious and meaningful investments. Um, and I've, I've always said that, that the talent is there, but the opportunities aren't always there. And the opportunities that I'm talking about are things like introductions to key clients and the ability to develop client relationships. It's getting the high value work. It's being able to tap into the resources for business development and the list goes on. Because we all know that these are the types of things that can really impact someone's career. So with that as the backdrop, here are a few things that I'm kind of seeing that are having a meaningful impact today. You know, we're seeing the, um, the creation of formal DEI sponsorship programs. So we know the difference between mentorship and sponsorship, right? So a mentor talks to you and a sponsor talks about you. And the best DEI sponsorship programs that I've seen have leaders of the firms, and that's the board, it's the you know the managing partner, the executive committee, and what I like to call the front page of the comp sheet lawyers. <laughs> but that group of people are actually the ones serving as the sponsors, and that has two two great benefits. One is that it shows the stakeholders that the leaders are invested in the diverse attorneys' development and they aren't pushing it off on someone else to do. So we know that law firms are top-down organizations, right? But having those at the top who are actively engaged in the DEI work has a profound impact. And the second thing is that that group of people are in a position to make sure that the lawyers are getting those opportunities that are referenced, right? So they actually have the work and they can make those key introductions. So I think um, sponsorship programs are definitely on the rise, and I think that they can be very, very effective and can lead to retention. The second thing that I'm seeing is kind of a focus on culture overall, because we know that culture is a differentiator, right? It's the reason uh, people stay or go. Um, and a survey by McKinsey found that the majority of employees have considered the inclusiveness of companies when they're making career decisions. Um, and I like to say this, if if you ask the people at the top of the organization to describe the culture, I'm sure that what they would say is probably different 
um, than what those who aren't at the top would say. I mean, and this is what we like to call that perception gap that often exists between the leaders and the employees. And it's how do we get everyone to kind of experience the culture in the same way? So just, you know, think about it and ask yourself, is your culture by default or by design? Mm, wow. Right. Um, so we've been talking a lot about, you know, the great resignation and the she session, <laughs> you know, but now we're here. <laughs> I love that term. I mean, it's sad, but it's still a good term. Um, I love it. I hadn't heard it before. Neither. That's a good one. She session. Yeah. The she session. Yeah. Um, you know, but now we're talking about, you know, the, the, the great reboot or the great realization. Um, and, you know, the reality is that the world is different since the start of the you know, the pandemic, people are expecting to work differently and they want companies to kind of meet more of their needs. So this is really an opportunity for firms to reimagine their workplace and their culture. And then the last thing I would say here is the um, inclusion of staff, right? Inclusion really is inclusion for all and not for some, you know, but we know that, you know, law firms typically focus on the benefits of the lawyers. And now we're seeing staff being introduced into that conversation, which is long overdue, but it's definitely necessary. And if I can just touch just quickly on the things please. that don't work. Yeah, <laughs> please, sure. please. When companies don't make DE&I a priority. So when they still think it's just a nice to do, or if the efforts are just performative and they're doing it because mm -hmm. um, their clients are kind of forcing them to do it. Um, so you have to make it a priority. It has to be part of the overall firm strategy. And then if your leaders aren't engaged, and I'll talk a little bit more later about the difference between commitment and engagement, if they aren't engaged, then you're probably not going to have a lot of success. Right, right. So important. It seems, Leah, that you're, you're I, I feel like in your tone that you're, you, you are optimistic that the level of engagement and, and particularly leadership leaning in is, is, is increasing. Is that, is that fair? It is. It is definitely increasing. And there were people who, you know, just because they could have been checked out of this conversation for such a long time, and now mm -hmm. they are checking into the conversation. But I'll also say that, it, you know, just because you're checking in, it, it doesn't always mean that you know what to do and know what to say. And that's where folks, you know, like me and people who do this kind of work can really help with that. But I am definitely encouraged. And I like to look at, you know, life as glass half full um, with the way that things are, you know, progressing and the, the level of interest by certain stakeholders. It's really encouraging. Yeah, because it, 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 I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but I just think it's so fascinating how as you uh, you know the, even in the work that Bree and I do on the well-being front so much of 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 what maybe I'm going to say not the easy part but building awareness and and educating others is one element mm -hmm. to it but ultimately action and taking on systemic barriers become probably the, the harder part of advancing social change and, mm -hmm. and, and being a catalyst for cultural shifts. Right. And those are, sometimes it takes, you know, years, sometimes decades, right. To, to, to effectively be able to do that. But it, it I find such interesting similarities mm -hmm. in the efforts to advance both one DEI on a track, one well-being on a track, and then the intersection yeah. of the two, which I think is even more interesting because some of the challenges are obviously unique and, and differentiated that, uh, really interesting. Um, you said earlier in the podcast, Leah, that the hardest job that you've, that, that you've had 
uh, and that a lot of this has to do with is the fact that you are trying to get people to change, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and evolve their thinking and ultimately, you know, act in a, a appropriate and effective ways. What works here? And how do you, how do you get people to, not necessarily, well, I, I, would, I would call it evolve their attitudes and actions as they think about what the right work culture is and what ultimately is the right thing to do but also, you know, advances, you know, kind of where the, where the firm is as a, as a business entity. Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, you, you can't do this work thinking that you will be able to get people to change, right? There's a great cartoon clip of, um, of someone addressing a crowd of people asking who wants to change and everyone raises their hand. And then they ask who <laughs> wants to change and then all the hands go down, yeah. right? That, that graphic perfectly sums up, you know, what it's like doing this work. You know, a lot of people are committed to DEI and they care and they have good intentions, but not many folks are actively engaged. And, you know, I said, I would talk about the difference between the two. I think right now you'd be hard pressed to find a leader who would actively come out and say that they aren't committed to DEI. Um, but it's it's more difficult to get them to actually engage in the work. It's hard to get folks to to willingly use their influence and internal capital to help someone else, especially if that um, individual isn't like them, so they don't look like them, and you know you're not part of my in group. But that said, if we want change, we we cannot sit on the sidelines, right? Um, so I believe that inaction or neutrality is complicity. Wow. Action is courage. And courage is, is a habit and it's, it's, it's a muscle that you build over time. It's, it's consistently committing to something, knowing that, you know, at times you may get it wrong or you may be uncomfortable. I mean, look, sometimes I still get it wrong and I do this for a living. But <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's continually showing up and engaging. And if you get it wrong, you get up and you continue to try again. So, you know, we spend a lot of times educating our stakeholders and raising awareness around DE&I. You know, what does it mean to really be an ally or an upstander? What do those terms mean, right? Mm -hmm. What does equity really look like in a law firm? How do you work across difference? How do you have courageous and meaningful conversations with others who are not like you, right? What is bias? How does it show up in your interaction? You know, with others. So once you understand some of these issues, hopefully that'll lead to greater empathy, and then hopefully that will lead to action. Right. Um, and right. so, I'll, I'll just in in closing, I'll say, you know, so instead of focusing solely on changing minds, you know, focus on changing your systems and changing your processes and changing your policies, because that's also where a lot of this bias breeds, which sometimes folks don't wanna change their minds because they're set on something. And as my friend, Michelle Silverthorne, she is a popular uh, DE&I and culture consultant says, you know, if you change the system, you'll change the world. So mm -hmm. I spend a lot more of my time focusing on changing the systems and then the hearts and minds will follow. Absolutely, that's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I've always thought that if, <laughs> if you get the right form in place, Mm -hmm. will follow. You ask the right questions on the right forms Absolutely. and that starts to shift the culture. Yeah. Yeah. So important. So Leah, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit, we're going to take a break here in just a second, but um, you are just coming off the, as president of the Association of Law Firm Diversity Professionals. And I can really hear the polish of your message, which I'm sure that you honed over the time as president. What has that group been focusing on? What are you guys focus, focusing on now? Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, for those who may not know, ALFDP 
um, is an association of law firm professionals working in the DEI space in the United States, Canada, and in the US, I'm sorry, uh, UK. Um, and the association is around, what, 16 years old um, at this point. Uh, you know, and as you mentioned, you know, I served as president for two years. I served as VP before that, and I'm, I'm technically still on the board. And it is just an absolutely amazing organization just to be able to connect with people who are trying to solve the same problems, right, and achieve the same goals. So let's try to put our heads together and solve it together. Um, but essentially, we equip our members with the tools, tips, and talking points that they need to advance DEI within their own firms and to help get the buy-in and the resources that they need. And resources is sometimes talent and then sometimes it's money. Um, another great thing that we do is to collaborate uh, with other DEI focused organizations as well. Um, last year, we collaborated with Thomson Reuters and the ACC Foundation on a white paper called The Pandemic Nation Understanding Its Impact on Lawyers from Underrepresented Communities. It was mm. a great white paper. I encourage your listeners to download it. It essentially was an in-depth look at the impact of the pandemic on the careers and lawyers from underrepresented communities. And what's great about that research even now is that it really points out the challenges and the opportunities of those um, historically excluded lawyers, which is really, really important, particularly the opportunities part, as all of us are slowly returning to the office, there are things that um, organizations can keep in mind. And I'm clear about saying returning to the office and not returning to work, because trust and believe for the past two years, we have been working hard yeah. Harder than we ever have. So I really want to remind people it's we're talking about returning to the office. But you know, ALFDP keeps on top of the, you know, the primary um, issues that everybody is dealing with. And then we try to find resources and give tips and tools to help solve some of those challenges. So great, great association. And I'm so glad and honored to have been um, you know, able to lead it. And, yeah, and so Leo, am, what I, is the uh, web address for that in case our listeners yeah. are interested in checking it out? Absolutely. www.alfdp.com. And, and Leah, I have to imagine that, and I'm very, this would be an encouraging sign that your membership has expanded significantly of late. Is that the case? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> right? I mean, that, um, that, that's a sign that there's, that, that, you know, again, people are leaning in that they're looking for a community uh, that, that can provide, you know, national resources to be able to aid them. I mean, this is an organization that I didn't, I wasn't aware of, but mm -hmm. again, gives me uh, cause for optimism that there are, you know, change agents that are coming together and sharing best practices that are ultimately going to advance our profession. Absolutely. You know, the membership grows every day. <laughs> um, and a lot of that is because a lot of these firms are creating a lot of DEI roles and positions, and sometimes they're elevating existing people. So the interest in DEI overall, and then ALFDP specifically, is just amazing. Awesome. Well, this is a great place. Let's, let's take a quick break and hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll come back. And, and you know, I'm, I'm really excited to kind of start to talk about the intersection of DEI and, uh, and well-being. So we'll be right back. Meet Vera, your firm's virtual ethics risk assessment guide. Developed by Alps, Vera's purpose is to help you uncover risk management blind spots from client intake to calendaring to cybersecurity and more. I require only your honest input to my short series of questions. 
I will offer you a summary of recommendations to provide course corrections if needed and to keep your firm on the right path. Generous and discreet, Vera is a free and anonymous risk management guide from Alps to help firms like yours be their best. Visit Vera at alpsinsurance.com forward slash Vera. All right, we are back with Leah Dorsey, Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Ogletree, Ogletree Deacons. And, uh, and you know, this is an area that, that I've been just very excited to, to delve into because I know that our board at the Institute for Wellbeing and Law, you know, you, you, you can't talk about well-being unless you're integrating and considering uh, elements of diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. And, and, you know, Leah, I'd love to just hear more about, you know, in your experience, how do they intersect, right? And, and how do we think about them, you know, I, I guess not as two tracks, but two tracks uh, obviously intertwined. Yeah, um, you know, mental health and DEI are definitely closely connected. I would say right now, you know, mental health and wellness and burnout, you know, are, are very common topics in the workplace today. And I think it's great that we're starting to normalize conversations around those topics. Yeah, um, asking for help now is not seen as a weakness mm -hmm. and people are having dialogues about um, and they're willing to talk about their personal experiences and, and their struggles. And when we talk about DE&I, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion, there's also another letter that's joining that and that's the B for belonging. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really the, the psychological safety that folks feel. And honestly, we weren't talking about these things before, but it is just so important that we're having these conversations now. Um, and the fact that all of us spend the majority of our time at work prioritizing mental health in the workplace is really, really a must. And many of us um, you know, are managing work-related stress and experiencing you know, diminished mental health because of the, you know, the pandemic and the racial injustice crisis. And this is, it's taken a toll on people and you know, mm. more so for those um, from diverse backgrounds and communities. You know, we talked about, you know, since um, 2020, there's been like a much needed spotlight on racial justice, but it's also highlighted the serious lack of dialogue addressing specific mental health needs and challenges, you know, for those from underrepresented, you know, communities. Right. And I think just kind of, you know, navigating and adapting to those challenges um, is is really important because there's a lot of stress that that you know community is experiencing because of what's going on, and that stress can worsen and it can cause health problems. It can lead to you know increased mental health conditions and so 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 much more. Um, and on the diversity piece of it, you know, folks from diverse backgrounds often face increased bias and microaggressions and other stressors stressors that impact their mental health and that psychological safety. So I think for the intersection between the two, it's really important to uh, focus on that sense of belonging because it's critical for overall mental health and well-being. because the more we feel like we belong, the more we feel like we can be ourselves, right? And Absolutely. when we feel like we have that support, then we can cope effectively with the stress and the difficulties in our lives. So firms and companies really need to prioritize creating this type of culture that supports not only just mental health and wellness, but that inclusion and that belonging piece as well. And I think another way that they intersect, and it's a way that a lot of people don't think about often, is when you think about benefits. Um, mm -hmm. And so really, you know, evaluate the benefits that you are offering at your company. Are they inclusive? 
are your wellness benefits available to everyone or just some? Um, and now that we're talking about possibly, you know, returning back to the office, look at your flexible working policies. Who gets to continue to work a hybrid schedule? Who's asked to come back into the office? And when you examine that, you'll see how that too impacts diversity. So as we're trying to all come up with these solutions around mental health and well-being, it's really important to keep some key B&I concepts in mind as well. Absolutely. And I just love what you're saying there around inclusion and belonging. And one of the things that I teach about when I talk is also the idea, and this is where I touch upon the intersectionality here, and I talk about the impact on mental health outcomes of what's called thwarted belongingness. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but it's also something that's been studied in um, a precursor or predictor of suicidality. I mean, it's really serious. And I think about, I use the example of, if you can't remember, think of anything else, remember what it's like to be a little kid and you're being, everybody's being chosen for the, the basketball team and you're the last one. That was my experience. <laughs> and just how awful that feels. Can you try to touch into that and have some empathy or compassion? So yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Um, Absolutely. If I may, there's one thing when you just shared that story, and I was the person who got picked last too. I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it just made me think about this, this amazing quote that I'm sure a lot of folks have heard at this point, but it's by Verne Myers. And it says, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. And mm. it is that last part that is just so important, right? Because it's not it, it's not good enough just to be seen, right? Mm -hmm. It's also about being included, being involved, yeah. feeling that sense of belonging. And so that made me think of that quote as you were just uh, sharing. That yeah, that's great. Part. I'm afraid I also, the person who knows about going to dance, <laughs> not being asked to dance. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> so Leah, I, I really want to dig in to hear a little bit about, you know, the, a theme that has run through our conversations here is about the role of leaders in the profession. And of course, there are the CEOs of the big law firms, some of the ones that you have worked for. There's other leaders of the profession that I think really have a responsibility here, the judges and the state bar presidents, people that really are the at the forefront of the profession. So what thoughts do you have about how we influence these leader these leaders? that um, if you care about well-being, you have to care about diversity, equity, inclusion, and vice versa. How do you get them to pay attention and to make and take action to become, I think you were saying it's not commitment, it's engagement. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Deloitte conducted a survey, I believe it was last year, which found that DNI and employee mental health and well-being are top priorities for CEOs. And I thought that that was very, very telling, right? So leaders really need to prioritize their employees' total well-being, and that includes their physical, mental, emotional health, and it also includes work-life balance. But in order to, to do that, you know, leaders must understand and address the unique challenges that their underrepresented employees face. And, you know, we talked about this a little earlier. So that's, you know, the bias, the microaggression, it's the health disparities, potentially. It's you know, it's different, um, you know, mental health treatment and outcomes, you know, sadly, I think that list goes on. And so I think you can influence and in encourage them, if you will, by just making sure that they understand that this is really important for every single 
employee, right? And some of the current support programs that they have in place, it's just not enough. Firms have to really take a strategic and a holistic approach to mental health and wellness because there isn't one solution to the problem or silver bullet, but it's really a series of actions that they need to take. And, and then you need to tie this some kind of way to retention and culture. Mm-hmm. Because we talked about this at the top, culture plays a big role in mental health, right? It's about those safe spaces. It's about inclusion because we know that inclusive workspaces um, you know, are more engaged and productive. But if you can really help your employees feel like they truly, truly belong, then you can help them achieve that greater sense of satisfaction and health and wellness. And that can impact retention. So just to kind of sum this up, you know, leaders really need to prioritize their people and they need to create a workplace that fully supports every single employee, even the one from, you know, um, historically excluded groups. And they must address those needs. Um, And if they want to create connected and inclusive workplaces, they have to address mental health because it's not an option to continue to ignore Mm -hmm. it. That's right. Yeah. Well, well said. Let's let's look forward a decade. And if we were, if we were to do a good job and uh, around evolving and changing attitudes and and encouraging engagement and and affecting hearts and minds, Leah, how how will the how will the legal profession be different? Well, um, for starters, I hope the profession will be more diverse ten years from now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's a shame that after all these efforts and initiatives and research and data that the legal profession is still struggling with diversity. Um, I wanna see more of this diversity at the top as well. We all know that representation matters. Mm -hmm. And I'd also like to see more accountability, right? How do we hold our leaders to account? I would love to see firms, and I'm sure a lot of people are not gonna like this, but I would love to see firms link the compensation to the advancement of DE&I because our corporate partners are already doing this, right? Mm And I always say that diversity isn't black and white, it's green. Because when you start talking about money, people listen. <laughs> people listen. So I would love to see that link because I think that will get us more change faster and sooner. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what I would say. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just curious on, on as we think about I, one, one thing, you know, law schools obviously have a role here to play as a, as a kind of a, a pathway, right, into the, into the profession. And I'm just curious on your impressions on, you know, how, how they're doing relative to some of these challenges. And, you know, obviously a, a lot of our work on the well-being front kind of starts with how folks come into the profession. I got to think that there's, there's some direct corollaries there. It is, you know, one of the things that I've seen, which I think is great, is that our law schools are talking about DE&I earlier in the process or period, because it was a time when they weren't. And so the fact that they're introducing and they're talking about these topics in law school, I think is great. And then we're also seeing a connection with some of the law school offerings and partnering with, you know, firms and other, you know, diversity associations that are out there, NCCA, the DFA and LCLD are three of of that come to mind. And they're really just trying to make sure that particularly the diverse students um, are well prepared for a full and rich career in a law firm and really looking at 
how do we make sure that they are um, that they know what to do and to make sure that they can ask the right questions and to find that mentor early and and all of the things that, that come with that. So I'm really encouraged to see that type of partnering with some of the law schools and some of the other associations that are out there and with some law firms as well. Mm -hmm. as, as, you, as you said earlier, evolution here and or, or progress, I think, has been slower than almost all of us believe, uh, you know, could have been achieved. Do you, do, are you are you optimistic about the future? And, and, and if, if so, what are some of the accelerator drivers that have you particularly excited for what's on the horizon? Oh, Chris, I have to stay optimistic because if I don't, I'll go <laughs> in my room, get in the ball and cry. Um, I just think it's really just, you know, my outlook. There has been, if, if I think about when I started in this field, not that long ago, really, but when I started, we weren't even talking about some of the stuff that we're talking about even now. And we were not as bold then as we are now. So that definitely gives me hope. Some of the people that I see who are starting to do this work gives me hope. The fact that we're seeing, you know, uh, managing partners and CEOs who are standing up and speaking up and actually putting that capital and using it to help advance it. All of that gives me hope. Um, I don't think that we will get there in my lifetime. Um, but I am happy to be a person right now and a change agent who's really trying to plant the seeds that hopefully folks will continue to water. And I tell people, this is a marathon. It didn't take us overnight to get into this and it's not gonna take us you know, overnight to get out of it. It's gonna take some time, but I am very, very hopeful. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for, for joining us. Whenever we can have a disruptor for good or a professional <laughs> troublemaker on the podcast, we are, we are all in. And, and Leah, we certainly commend you for your, your, your longtime commitment, the, the impact that you're having, the, the willingness to serve and leadership structures and challenging the status quo, improving cultures, right? I mean, you, you are doing, you know, critical work, not just for your, for your firm in particular, but well beyond in terms of improving this profession and the ability for this profession to ultimately serve the legal needs of the country, all of the legal needs of the country, right? Not just certain mm -hmm. legal needs of our country. So again, thank you so much for, for joining us on, on the podcast. Thank you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Bree. Thank you, Chris. I have enjoyed my time immensely and I would be happy to come back if ever you would have me. <laughs> this has been great. And I love this so much. I can talk about this all day. I feel like our time just flew by. Um, so thank you. Thank you again for having me. It certainly did. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with uh, one final installment of our kind of our series on the intersection of diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and well-being. And Thanks to all of our friends out there for listening in. Uh, and if you have ideas, continue to reach out to Bree or I for suggestions on, on future speakers. So Absolutely. everyone be, be well out there. Thank you. Take good care, everyone. Bye-bye.